Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. In this episode, we talked to Dan from Elk Shape. If you haven't heard of Dan, Dan is the fitness man. And we talk all things fitness, training, nutrition, mentorship, and what his journey has looked like becoming a better bow hunter over these years and helping others to do the same. Hope you enjoy. All right, Dan, the fitness man, welcome to the Baxter Bowman podcast. Thanks for being here. May it's been a long time. It has been a long time. It's been a while. Yeah. Months. Last, last time we chatted was what November last year, like right after elk season. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Now we're prepping for this season. Uh, Dan, I have a, we have an interesting question to start off here and we're going to jump straight in. It's if you had to choose one fitness or elk hunting, what would you do? Elk hunting. Elk hunting. Why elk hunting? You'll get your fitness in the woods. You can, uh, I mean, you can chase bugles and you can elk hunt a long time. Uh, you can get tags where, you know, you'll figure it out. But if, if that was all you had, uh, you could figure out a way to elk hunt. And then I could tweak your system to be, I could be shed hunting for elk sheds. Um, I could, I don't know, man, I'd figure out a way to, to get paid to do that and be an elk biologist, watch calves drop, do elk counts. Um, I got to trap wolves to keep elk on this, you know, uh, on the land. So, I mean, I don't know. I think to me, elk hunting is the ultimate. So, um, fitness would follow suit you can't really have one with the out like they're not mutually exclusive mm -hmm. but uh i see where you're i see what you're doing <laughs> and i'm picking elk hunting <laughs> nice awesome answer and uh, how did you get into elk hunting or hunting in general like what was the journey into hunting like for you so i just got into elk hunting kind of stumbled into it by going deer hunting with my dad and uh when we were scouting for deer we ran into elk and we were like, uh, I think the deer season hadn't opened yet. And then we're like, whoa, these are elk on public land in Washington state, dude, let's go look up the regs. And we looked up the regs and it was like opening the following weekend. And so we went and got elk tags and the rest is history. Wow. So you accidentally got into it. Yep. <laughs> That's amazing. 100%. And then how about the fitness side of things? Like when along that journey, did that become a passion for you? super early, like seventh grade, summer going into eighth grade, wanted to get jacked for wrestling and football, mm. had a mentor, actually like a legit, like a legit mentorship where the dude was like, okay, you'll be my pet project for the summer. I'm going to put 20 pounds of muscle on you kid. Wow. And, uh, so it was just really cool. It was a blessing. It was good circumstances. And, uh, my parents were building a house. I lived in this guy's basement. We like my whole family was renting this guy's huge basement and he happened to have an entire like commercial type gym in this basement. And I think he saw me messing around on the weights one day. And he was like, uh, do you want to learn how to do this right way? And like figured out my <laughs> goals and gave me some literature to read. And, um, the guy actually worked for like, um, I can't even remember the name of the company, but this company had a sister company that made supplements for old people, <laughs> like 
older folks, older community that struggle to eat and need calories. And so like he sold that stuff too. And it was in his garage. And so he had me like on weight gainer basically Mm. and lifting weights. And I showed up to eighth grade, like 20 pounds full of muscle. And I got a lot of people's heads to turn. And I like kind of liked that. And I liked the confidence. And uh, from that point forward, I used to tell my friends in junior high and high school that I was going to own my own gym. Uh, and just the path opened up that way. And that's kind of what I pursued. Got it. So seventh grade, eighth grade, had you gone on that first deer hunt where you saw elk at that point, or did that come later after the fitness? Oh no. So like, I mean, I, I grew up doing like things that probably a lot of us did where like, you know, you'd follow your dad in the woods when he's grouse hunting mm-hmm. and, uh, you'd beg him to take you deer hunting. And the whole time he'd yell at you to be quiet. And, uh, then I think when I was 10, I got my hunter safety card and started doing a little bit of deer hunting. And then I think I shot my first big buck when I was 13 with a rifle and then got jacked and tanned Mm -hmm. and skipped out on hunting from, I think eighth grade through the end of high school, just because of sports. Got it. Yeah. And And right up afterwards. Gotcha. Football and wrestling. I mean, talk about mental toughness, especially with wrestling. Do you feel like that is where your mental toughness that now applies to hunting was, was really created? Oh, I don't know, man. I think mental toughness is just like a muscle that it can atrophy or you can build it and build it and build it. So it never really like, I don't know. I feel like I'm not mentally tough all the time. I feel like I have to just keep working that muscle. Uh, so to speak, but I'd say all the sacrifice in the gym, all the, all the Friday nights where I didn't go out, but I was like to the gym training or, um, me and my friend, Kevin in high school would go to the gym before we had to go to school. And then after school, we had to lift weights with the football team. And, uh, we just thought we looking back, we just thought we knew better, like as far as what we were doing Mm -hmm. compared to our high school football coach. But I mean, it was just like, such a cool lifestyle where we just, we sacrificed, we ate so much food and bulked up and, uh, just a couple of meatheads in high school. But, uh, to answer your question, I think, uh, the level of discipline is directly proportional to your level of mental toughness, preparedness, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so mental preparedness is what I, that's the phrase I use to define your level of, I can accept things that suck between the ears and keep moving forward. So, uh, the more discipline I have in my life, the more mental preparedness I have in my life and you can't have one without the other. Yeah. I like that framework and shout out to Kevin from high school. Um, and Dan, you mentioned a couple mentors along the way. One was, uh, that guy who basically made you his pet project, kind of like Baxter did with me. (laughs) Um, what do you think was the biggest thing you learned from him on the fitness side? And then a part two to the question is how about on the hunting side, who was your biggest hunting mentor and what'd you learn from him or her? Okay. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, the, the my fitness mentor, his name is bill and I have actually lost touch with him. I haven't seen him. I think we live in the same town, but man, you know, uh, that was a long time ago, but, um, you know, I think he taught me, <sighs> maybe more like to be surgical when it comes to like programming for yourself. Like he was very particular on reps and sets and rest periods and strength waves 
And this guy was not like your average gym bro, gym science, you know, three sets of 12, rest 90 seconds, hypertrophy, hypertrophy. No, this guy was really surgical on his programming. Um, and then when we lifted, the one thing I'll never forget is like, like we had a leg day every week. Like he didn't skip leg day. A lot of people do. And he was just a different human being on leg day. Like he brought the noise. It was a different level of intensity. It was go time. It was, it's not a leg workout unless you're looking for a wheelchair to get out back to your truck. Like, uh, so I always appreciated that. Uh, and that was just stuck with me as far as I always say now, every day's leg day. And mm. that's kind of true the way I train now, but just, I loved how surgical he was and I loved the level of intensity he brought on leg day. Um, hunting mentorship. That's a tricky one because I didn't really have a mentor per se. My uncle took me elk hunting, uh, archery elk hunting for the very first time. So I guess I got to rewind slightly. When I was 19, my first day ever elk hunting, I killed a bull within 15 minutes of legal shooting light with a rifle. No way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because we saw those elk the week prior and we were deer scouting and uh -huh. we just went right back to where we saw them. And my dad called one in, not knowing what he was doing. And when we, I mean, we didn't know anything like we got the elk out whole and we didn't kill it near a road. So wow. that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Yeah. We, uh, we just didn't know what we were doing. And then when I saw how much meat, like I remember we had this elk hanging in a neighbor's shop and my dad, I don't remember who or what referred him, but these guys were called mobile meats. And these dudes rolled up to our house and broke down the entire elk cut and wrapped right in front of us. Wow. And our freezer was full and we, we ate on that thing all year as a family. And I felt like a provider, like that was a feeling that, I was so proud, not only because it was just a big rack there, but because I was like providing for my entire family. And so I'm like, how do I hunt these things with a bow? Because they bugle in September and these archery seasons are in September. I guess I better get a bow. And my personality is like kind of all or none. So I just rolled on down to Deer Park, Washington and picked up a bow. And I don't remember if it was an actually archery shop or like a pawn shop. I just bought a bow and taught myself all the wrong ways how to shoot and got an uncle who really, I don't know if he ever really even killed an elk with a bow. I think he might've shot at a couple or maybe wounded one, but he was into elk. So he took me to Idaho and we went elk hunting. And I mean, day one, we get out of the truck, start hiking get to a high point. He lets out a power bugle. If you know what those are, I don't even know if they still make those. And a couple bulls answer us way out in the distance in the bottom of this huge drainage. And he's like, okay, let's go get them. And I just remember the yard sale of me going down through thick huckleberry brushes and you know, these giant meadows of ferns and then thick choked out timber dropping thousands of elevation and by the time we got down there, the bull kind of hung up and we, we called back and forth. I mean, I heard a ton of bugles my first morning ever, and we didn't get anything killed. 
and I had lost my bino somewhere between the truck and there. And uh, I was like, this is the, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And we didn't even, I never even saw an elk that day because Idaho is so thick, but I heard so many bugles and this bull sounded like he wanted to kill us. And I was like, dude, this is the greatest, this is the greatest thing ever. I need to learn more. And so I scoured all the resources that I could back in 2001. So I don't remember if there was hunting forums online, but I know I had internet access. There wasn't podcasts. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't really outdoor television. So I would buy VHS tapes. I would buy like Primos ones, obviously. And I would watch these guys elk hunting. I'd see their success. I had no clue that most of these hunts were filmed on uh, private ranches where there was no other hunting pressure, but just the Primo squad. And they made it look easy. And it just, it gave me enough fuel to just keep digging. I got every bow hunting magazine subscription that you could get. <laughs> and uh, once DVDs came around, I still have, this is no joke, at my cabin in Idaho, I bet I got 200 hunting DVDs about elk hunting or from when DVDs were hot. And I, I've never thrown them out or my wife hasn't thrown them away yet. So like I was hungry for knowledge and I probably didn't get really good mentorship until about three or four years later after a lot of failure, I convinced a guy named Chad Vineyard, um, kind of a local guy here. He was working in the archery shop and he got really sick and tired of me talking about how I go elk hunting for 30 days, which I did literally always. I've always elk hunted the entire month of September with a bow. And that's another podcast on itself. But um, he got tired of hearing all my failure. And he's like, dude, you're doing something wrong. I'm, I want to go with you and show you what's up. And then from that two days with him catapulted my elk hunting success. Wow. So it sounds like first from your uncle, maybe it wasn't so much like something tactical you learned, but the excitement, like the passion was born. And then now with Chad, what, what happened in those two days? Like what, what was it that, do you remember pick that you picked up that catapulted yeah. you? Sure. I mean, so a couple things, and I mean, these are nuggets. So I, I guess I'm going to, I'm guessing going to show that this stuff still works because I still do this stuff, but like he rolled up, I gave him directions to camp. He got there pretty late, like after dark. We're like already ate dinner. Bags are packed. We're ready to go. We're excited. He rolls up and he's like, hey, guys, what's up? And he's like, you got any beer? And I'm like, yeah, we got some beer in the cooler. And he's like, all right, well, go ahead. Get me some beer. Grab yourself a few. Grab your dad's a few. We'll hop in my truck. We're going night bugling. <laughs> and I mean, I was like literally in bed. And I was like, what the hell? So this guy keeps us up till like two in the morning. And we're literally driving logging roads, may or may not have been drinking beers and bugling and locating elk. And he located probably six or seven different herds in that span of probably 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. So we roll back to camp at like, I don't know, two in the morning. And he's like, all right, this bull sounded pretty good. This bull sounded really hot. He, you know, so he had all these elk fired up. And he figured out where to go the very next morning. And I will say the very next morning, my dad got a shot and missed and I shot a bull. Wow. The very next morning. First time ever hunting with him. 
because we located elk the night before instead of wondering where elk were going to be the next day. Uh, A couple of things was just how he navigated the country. We never, ever, ever left an elk trail. That's not that important in certain terrains and topographies. And keep in mind, I've hunted all over the U.S. now. The only state I haven't elk hunted in out west is Utah and California. And I probably never will want to hunt California elk. But Utah, just I haven't been there yet. But all the other states I have probably multiple times. And Idaho specifically, if you stay on elk trails, you will be on the best you will be on the best topography that the land has to offer. You will navigate the country the most efficiently. You will save them much energy and you will be on the elk and you can move fast. So this guy was showing me stuff I'd never seen before. I used to be go straight down, cross the Creek, go up. He would go way left at an angle and it would hook us around. And then we'd go right because the elk would take angles and they just knew how to, I don't know, just the way we move through the country it was unbelievable. I, I've been doing it all wrong. And you actually see more elk when you use the elks. We'll call them their interstates, their, you know, their little, their side roads, their main roads, their arterials. Like they, these elk have a road system of their own. And you see more elk when you're on their road system. So between that, the night bugling, and then the way that he called, because we did use all vocalizations to get in on all the elk. He was like, he was very, very aggressive, very aware of what the elk were saying. The When the elk were going to zig, he knew it. When they zagged, he knew it. And so it was just, dude, I was, I'm, I was blown away. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to see someone who's good at what they're doing, doing it. Um, and you know, totally unique style for him too, to locate stuff at night and then just drop in on it. Um, I think one of the coolest things I've seen in the, your materials is you're talking about, Hey, the influence of different hunters with different styles. Now it's important to learn from different guys. What, if you had to say, this is my hunting style, how would you describe it? Uh, I'm a chameleon. I change styles on the hour or by the day. Um, I, I'll do whatever. If it means sitting up a tree stand over a wallow, that's the only way it's going to get the job done. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. If it's straight up, bugle fest and i'm just going to bugle a bull in no cow calls all aggression fighting i'll I'll do that um but if i was honest and looked at historically Mm -hmm. i kill more elk when i shut my mouth and -hmm. just let the elk do all the talking and i sneak in and i i stay on the herd's fringe until something develops to where i just have that feeling of okay i can take advantage of this opportunity or there's something about to develop and that's probably most of the elk I've killed has probably been without vocalizations. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And you, I mean, you, you've talked to a lot of really quote unquote, big name elk hunters, right? We all, it's pretty funny in the elk hunting industry to call folks big names, but guys that people would recognize day in and day out. Um, if you could hunt with one other guy and like learn from his style, like who would that be? Well, that's tough. Um, w- one of my favorite people to listen to, um, is the elk nut. I love having mm. him at, he's been to so passionate. That guy's just, I just pulse. love his passion. His All fire, over. Yeah. yeah. But he came to Boise elk shape camp and, uh, did this year and, and just did a really good job of presenting his narrative, his methodology, his theories. And, um, he's just a very, he's a very confident hunter. 
I love what he has to say. Uh, I don't always agree with everything he says, but I also know that everyone's got a little different take and nuance. So I can't, I take that with a grain of salt, but I just, like you said, I think just seeing him be 65 and be like as fired up as anyone I've ever met. And he's killed so many elk and been there, done that. And it doesn't get old, probably the elk nut. And then the other guy is somebody who who's been to like almost every elk shape camp I've ever done. And we've never elk hunted together. And it kills me is Dirk Durham, the bugler. Mm. Um, because we, we have literally been elk hunting probably 15 to 20 years, somewhere in there, right by each other and have never ran into each other. And we've compared notes and spots and stayed up late, way too late, many a nights at Oak Shape Camps, drinking beers and going over where we've been and what we've seen. And we've actually never, ever overlapped hunting spots, which is crazy because it's not that big a country. So I'd love to hunt with Dirk just because I've never heard anyone make elk sounds as pure as he does. I mean, there's some great elk callers. I've heard them all. They're, they're amazing. But Dirk, Dirk sounds the purest and he's it's, he just doesn't he may not know a lot about anything else but he knows just about everything there is about elk hunting and i think him and i would just make a great team because we're pretty opposite like dirk's not into working out that's all i do dirk's not really into tinkering with archery that's all i do i'm not really into elk calling dirk is passionate about he don't want to sneak in on a bull that don't sound like any fun to him he wants the full mill interaction with an elk and he wants to fool that elk into thinking that he's an elk and he likes to call them in to top pen range. No matter how many times this elk's been called to from other hunters, how much hunting pressure wolves, he just likes the challenge. So if you paired our styles together, if Dirk was calling for me, it'd be an honor, but also it'd be, it'd be cool to call for Dirk because I've learned a lot from him and I think our tactics would, would probably complement each other real well. Let me give an example. Like um, a lot of times there is that old smart herd bull who will answer you from a distance, mm-hmm. but as soon as you hit a certain buffer zone, he will shut up. Um, and he's learned that that's how he stays alive. Uh, Dirk and I've always talked about wanting to, get we have a couple bulls we both of us haven't killed yet we want to kill and they're very similar and so we always thought that if dirk could stay just off the fringe and keep that bull talking i could sneak in and kill it and vice versa so yeah i would love to hunt with dirk um just because he's so much fun too he's a great guy one of my favorite people on the planet awesome yeah that's uh that's a really cool note about like complimentary styles like a you know good partner in the field um, and I wanted to grab, talk about one thing too, you were saying with, um, with Paul in specific about that passion. I know that you're, you know, you elk hunt 30 days in the fall, you're doing this year round, like you're always fired up and it's, it's really cool to see that. Like, what do you do? You know, how do you keep that excitement alive? Like, I know things in life go in waves, but like, what, what helps you just keep doing that year round and love it? No, it doesn't really, the feeling of walking up on an elk that you killed and you kind of can, there's just a, a moment in time where you kind of like stop for a second 
And obviously you're elated and you have some other emotions of just, you know, you're very humbled because this animal's life is going to keep you alive for the following year. I mean, we can go through all that, but let's put that aside. When I walk up on that animal, I'm like, I didn't kill this elk today. I killed this elk 364 days of it took me to kill this elk. And I don't think there's a lot of things on this earth that reward that level of delayed gratification, that approach. Uh, And so it has never gotten old. I have always felt that overwhelming feeling of, wow, this is what success feels like when you work your ass off for a full year. You don't lose sight. You don't get distracted. If you fall off the wagon, you jump back on. I I can't describe it, man. But to me, elk hunting is as hard as it gets. It's like you're signing up for hard work, which not a lot of people like anyways. And you're signing up for something that has very low odds of success. And you beat all the odds. And maybe you got lucky, but a lot of times lucky means that you were prepared an opportunity and they collided and here it is in front of you. That feeling is just, when that feeling goes away, I'll probably be done, but it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it's so cool. Well, it's, uh, it's really fun to listen to for guys like Josh and I, have, you know, relatively new hunters, um, just to see that, that passion, that excitement. It's really, really cool. And you know, speaking of newer hunters, I think that's a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast too, or folks like us that are just getting into it. Um, in a transition back to some of those mentors and, you know, that learning process for you, like when you were going, when you were learning about elk hunting, we talked about some of the failures, but what were some of the biggest problems you had? Like the things that you overcame, you think were like step functions or jumps in your, your uh, trajectories in elk hunter. So let's see, I've had some really good, uh, mentorship. Like I said, you know, starting out with my uncle, then that Chad, Chad guy came in one weekend and totally elevated. Um, then, you know, I got really inspired, uh, by a lot of the things that Cameron Haynes wrote, um, back before he used to be an editor of Eastman's Bowhunting Journal. He was, he was the same back then, just with not a cell phone in front of him. So like what you see today on social, for those that don't know, Cameron Haynes is a really awesome elk hunter. He would just put that stuff in writing and talk about just being an athlete and training for elk hunting and treating elk hunting like a sport with seasonality in your off season and shooting year round. And that really inspired me. And so I enjoyed his, um, and his writings. And then I got the opportunity to, to go on a hunt with Larry D Jones, um, Mm, legendary elk hunter, uh, Pope and young, bow hunting hall of fame member um just a great guy and i've been on two elk hunts with him one was in 2008 one was in 2009 so back-to-back years of hunting with that grumpy just old but passionate elk hunter and he's set in his ways and i love just being around larry because at the time man larry was like in his early 70s when i was with him and I was in my late twenties, pretty good shape. And Larry was slow in the mountains until a bull bugle. And then it was like this 71 year old dude was the same age as me. 
and he's Amazing. it was unbelievable to see what the bugle juice can do to people um and he had some really cool ways that he hunted and he vocalized and i learned a lot from him and um so it was just surrounding myself with people that were as passionate if not more and just observing what their best practices were and then trying to write my own story and try to identify the areas the, uh, basically when it comes to opportunity what's the lowest hanging fruit yeah you know i'm pretty fit i probably don't need to spend as much time on fitness as i do on reading up on elk biology and elk behavior and spending time scouting and really learning about vesting in my weapon and all the nuance with archery and all the equipment and tuning. And, and so the cool thing is, is man, your story's never done. You're really never fully ready. There's always something else you can be doing. And that's the mindset I, I've always had with elk hunting is that it's, it's a three, six, five prep. And there's always something that you can be doing. Sure. There's lulls, but if you talk to like, if you really boil it down to some of the, I'd say the best elk hunters that I've met out there, there's no days off. These guys are truly working towards a one goal year round and their success proves it. Yeah. And I know a uh, saying of yours is always be tinkering. What are you uh, tinkering with these days? Like what's the next chapter in your evolution as an elk hunter? Um, the tinkering things on day to day. I mean, if you want to know like today, <laughs> I, uh, I'm trying to get my elk rig fine tuned. I was working on a sight tape. I went to the archery range today. I was shooting long bombs at like, I think 110, trying to get the sight tape super doped. Um, I was messing with stabilizers and quivers and all sorts of stuff, just trying to like really get my my setup dialed. Uh, and I think we're pretty much there after today. Um, and then we'll probably start tinkering with broadheads here soon. I just just got out of spring bear season, so. I've already killed two bears this year with a bow. So that's not to impress you. That's to impress upon you that I've already chipped off a ton of rust that accumulated over the long winter. So I've already been in the mountains with the backpack with boots on, checking the wind, reading thermals, glassing for animals, making stocks, failing on stocks, um, getting close but not getting shot opportunities, and then finally having it all come together, cutting an animal up, breaking it down, hiking off the mountain. Already done that twice this year. So that's a huge advantage. Um, so right now, I mean, I kind of pretty much my bow's shooting really well. It's super tuned. And um, when it comes to tinkering on other things, like it's kind of trail camera season right now. Like I'd like to put out trail cameras about this time of year, right around 4th of July. And mm -hmm. as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at probably 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 10, 13 or 14 trail cameras right here. And I have only four or five in the woods right now that I just haven't got to yet that I put out last year. And that's kind of like my personal approach to trail cameras is I don't use trail cameras in season to tell me anything. I put them out in areas that either I hunted before or areas that I'm thinking about hunting and I'll put them in really good areas that are going to be on some sort of game trail, some sort of funnel, saddle, pinch point, wallow, whatever. And I'm going to get them in a spot where I can just get inventory understand bi biology or behavior, see what's going on, what these elk are doing and let them soak. I like trail cameras to soak for a year. And then I've been tinkering with a couple of cell phone trail cameras from spy point 
And I thought that's brand new to me. A lot of places I elk hunt do not have cell phone service, but some do. So I'm going to probably be putting those out and, and seeing what that's all about. Um, tinkering on the Google earth is something I do quite a bit. And I've been just trying to work on my hunt plans and, and figure out where I'm going to be, what I'm going to do and what the country looks like. So e-scouting is huge. That's awesome. Wow. Um, to switch gears a bit for, to, for the new hunters out there, like myself, a lot of our, uh, listeners or new hunters like me getting into it or wanting to get into it. What do you think in terms of the learning process or like the biggest mistakes people make when they're trying to get into hunting? Oh man, I don't know, Josh, that's a tough one. So I think folks need to understand that there's certain level of expectation that's just not realistic. And so possibly sitting down before the season starts and like, I don't know if you have to put it in writing, but identifying what your expectations are for the season and kind of maybe defining what success means for you, for where you're at with the experience you don't have and the equipment you just got maybe it's not killing an elk, which is arguably one of the hardest big game animals to kill in the lower 48. So I think folks that want to kill an elk and are new to hunting, eh, I don't want to sound negative here because that's, I'm never really negative, but I just want to sound realistic. Like you might consider how can I get some reps in the red zone? How can I get some animals killed for the freezer So I can kind of be familiar with that process of my heart rate going through the roof, the anticipation, getting pulled back, undetected, executing a controlled shot on a live animal with a heartbeat, finding your arrow, trailing the blood trail, recovering, breaking it down, learning the meat, butchering it yourself, testing your gear. So if you think your first big game archery or whatever kill is going to be an elk. It might be, but, uh, it might not be. So maybe figure out what is success going to look like if elk hunting is your first exploit. Well, if I can hear a bugle every day, that was a successful hunt. Or if I can get two to three encounters over the course of a seven day hunt where I'm under a hundred yards and from elk that are talking to me or, or are talking on their own, or if I can sit there on the mountainside and watch elk rut and like learn their body language and learn what they're trying to communicate to each other and, and how they behave and how they move the mountain and where do they feed and what are they feeding on? and What are the characteristics of their bedrooms, where they like to sleep for the day, uh, that kind of stuff. And the, and the whole wind directions of the mountains, which is so different than not in the mountains. And I mean, look at it from a long lens of, okay, I'm on this journey. I'm on this path. How much can I learn this season? What, what am I hoping to get out of it? So define your expectations before you step out on that trailhead. That is, that is such a great piece of advice. Um, and it's funny because that's exactly what Baxter told me when I went into my first season. And as he said, uh, to define success as learning, 
not necessarily as killing because like you're there to learn and that's what's going to make you a better elk hunter over the long term instead of you know elk walks into your camp and you don't learn anything you know which is a more successful season quote unquote right right um that's awesome how about on the fitness side what's like the biggest or most common mistakes that you see on the fitness side as it relates to people prepping for hunting yeah um so guess you're asking like so what do i see people making mistakes that i honestly i don't pay attention to what other people <laughs> do to be honest with you mm-hmm. so i don't know what they're doing um and I, I guess i would assume there's some there's a handful of people that just don't do anything uh open up the bow case blow the dust off grab the backpack put the boots on and go uh that's scary to me uh because you're going to go match wits with an animal that literally lives in the mountains, damn near 365 has a deeper understanding of how to move through the mountains, how to make a living in a place you don't make a living. It's like me trying to go to your house and figure out where everything's at and, and what you like to do there. It's going to take me a while. Whereas, you know, the house, like the back of your hand, you know, you know, which sink is the best one to get the coldest water out of you know what's in the fridge and where it's in the fridge. And so it's just like, realistically, the fitness thing is, is different for everybody. And so I will boil it down because I know you're looking for nuggets. Figure out what you suck at the most and go work on that the most. Not the sexiest advice, but it's the most logical in my mind. It's like, oh, I'm terrible at hiking up steep mountains. I have to stop every 30, every 30 yards and catch my breath. Well, you should probably put a backpack on and start rucking multiple times a week at different paces, different elevation gain loss, different loads, um, things like that. If you are somebody who's a phenomenal runner, but you've never done any strength training whatsoever and the soft tissue, your ligaments, your tendons, the musculotendons are weak and you have a higher injury potential. You should probably do less running and more strength training. Uh-oh, so, Josh. <laughs> yep, that's me. What's that? <laughs> that's me right there. <laughs> I said, uh-oh, Josh. <laughs> yeah, Baxter told me to t- say that. But no, for real. Um, I don't know, man. Identify your weaknesses. Tackle them head on. Those, ju- those workouts suck the most. They're not fun. It's not, you know, everybody likes bench press day. Uh, there's no bench pressing in the mountains, man. Everything starts from the ground up. That's why I say every day is leg day. So incorporate some full body workouts and get your body used to having a backpack on. I'm telling you right now, there's not much time where a backpack's not on your shoulders throughout the entire elk hunt. Uh, elk hunting is actually elk hiking. So get mm-hmm. used to it. Um, and there's so many resources that are out there now. It's like, do something about it. And if you're just one of those people that are like, you're just straight up fat, like you're chubby, like you're going elk hunting and you're overweight, you're carrying around, you are lugging around useless extra weight. You can do it, but are you going to have as, are you going to have an enjoyable time if you, in compared to if you just dropped 20, 30 pounds prior to the season, the whole premise of hunting your way into shape is bullshit. You have 
you're just, it's just not going to be as good of an outcome as it could have been. And I think elk hunting's finite. I mean, it comes and it goes and then it's gone forever. So I personally want to be the sponge on the mountain soaking up every second, every sunrise, every encounter, every bugle. I don't ever want to be like, I got to take a nap or I got to take a, a rest day or I got to hunt lower country today. Uh, no, um, that's not, I'm, that's not allowed for me personally. And so I'm going to show up in better shape than I probably need to be. And I'm going to be limitless in the mountains and I'm going to leave those mountains knowing that there was not one stone left unturned. I gave it my effort and I kept my attitude positive because those are the only two things I can control. Wow. That there's a lot of good nuggets in there. Uh, Dan, I'm going to try asking a kind of a unique and maybe a tough question, but, uh, if you want to take a second to think about it, let me know. You, you probably get a ton of questions online from a, a bunch of different people getting into elk hunting from all kinds of experience. What's a question you wish people should be asking, but they aren't. That's a good question for me. I, I think people spend way too much time sending me direct messages on Instagram about stupid archery questions like, Hey, what spine should my arrow be? Or which broadhead should I use? And why do you, what should I fletch helical right or left? Or do you knock tune? Dan, do you paper tune? Do you bear shaft tune? It doesn't matter. You probably, most people have some sort of target panic. You know what I'm saying? Like you could have the Mm -hmm. most perfect setup for elk, for you, for your draw weight, for your specs, for where you're at with your archery skill. And you still punch the trigger or don't, have shoot a controlled shot process. And so I wish more people would ask me about, Hey, what should I do to mitigate target panic? And then I would immediately refer them to somebody who knew not, I'm not an archery coach. Um, I wish people would ask me more about, Hey, how can I speed up my recovery between hunting sessions in the mountains? Because that's what hunting is to me in elk Elk hunting is elk working out all day. You are working out all day and then you have just a few hours to get your supper ready, get a good night's sleep and you're back at it the next day. Those six to eight hours or whatever they are, that's your chance to mitigate all the stress that you put on your body. Mentally, you're probably dehydrated, your muscles are taxed and you're worried about spine of your arrow and noctuni and you're not asking me about Hey, what supplements can I take or what backcountry food should I be bringing so I can perform better? I've been eating Snicker bars. So I just wish people would spend more time asking me questions about the majors instead of the minors. Mm. Wow. Now I have to ask. So for recovery between those hunts, when you're out there, what, what are the, what are the tips you got there? What, what, what should people be doing? Well, you should test your food first and foremost before you go hunting. The worst thing you can do is bring a bunch of cool food in the backcountry and figure out real quick that I'm already sick of this chalky Costco Kirkland protein bar. Sorry, Costco, but you know, or whatever it is. Like I just know from experience, like there's always like that one thing that's like <laughs> you want to trade it with your buddy. Like, hey, I'll trade you for those. Or you're always looking over at your buddy and seeing what he's eating. Like, damn, why didn't I pack that or whatever? So. I think, man, knowing what foods that you do well, that which foods give you the best bioenergetic pathways, like, you know, for some people it's fats, 
for some people's it's sugars. Like for me, it's carbs. Like I definitely eat more carbs than I do uh, at home in the mountains. Um, I do. I probably have 60% of my calories are coming from carbs in the mountains, whereas not in the mountains, it's probably more like 40%. Uh, but I understand that my body burns sugars pretty well, pretty fast. And, and yes, fats make me feel, uh, have satiety, but they don't aid in performance as well as sugars do. Like carbohydrates do break down to sugars eventually. So, uh, take the time to figure out what your body likes to perform on and, 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 and what's going to taste good. What's going to sound good. What are you going to eat of a lot of folks pack food and they forget to eat on the mountain. That's a huge issue. You know, you're into elk, you're into elk. And next thing you know, it's three or four o'clock and you've only had breakfast today and you, and you got a lot of water on your hip. You haven't even drank your water. So staying hydrated. Um, so I like to take foods that work well for me. Um, I always make my own trail mixes. And so it's not just fat from nuts, but I'm also getting, you know, a bunch of cool little dried fruits and stuff in my trail mix that I've made my own trail mix because like I said, I do well, um, protein does, I do really well on protein. So lots of jerky. Um, I do eat a lot of vegetables in the off season, so I don't have vegetables readily available while hunting. So I do like make my own green formula. I take the wilderness athlete green formula. I take that wilderness athlete hydrate recover at least two scoops a day while in the mountains. Um, there's a midnight build formula that I take as well that helps with recovery while you're sleeping, uh, multivitamins. So those things don't weigh nothing. So I, I definitely, I know that I don't take a lot of supplements in the off season per se, but I also know that I have a pretty good nutrition plan here at home and I'm getting, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting a lot of the nutrients I need from my diet here at home. But man, when I'm in the mountains, I am looking to backfill a pretty crappy diet because you just can't eat enough mm. when you're elk hunting. So I hope that kind of makes sense is like at the end of the day, go test things out. Not only your gear, not only your boots and pack and your sleep system, your hydration systems, big dude, go test out your food. See if you're bonking, see if you feel good, see if you are recovering. That stuff's really, really important and honestly, very overlooked. Yeah. Like Josh said, so many nuggets to use a Danism. <laughs> so cool. Um, and I think, you know, one of the fun things too, for us is obviously we're doing this podcast where you have know, kind of been mentoring with Josh, but there's just a lot of resources online that, um, where you, you're kind of acting like a mentor for thousands of guys, um, in a lot of cool ways. So maybe two questions on that to wrap it up. But, um, you know, first one, like why, why, why elk shape? Like, why are you, uh, doing what you're doing? Oh man. I, that's, that's like the hardest question you've asked. I was so going to say, just like a minor question here to wrap up, you know, <laughs> you tricked me, Josh. Uh, I like helping people and I like trying to bring people with me where I'm going. And what I mean by that is like, I feel a call to help people seek out higher roads. And so elk shapes my avenue to do that. I know 
I made a post on Instagram a couple of days ago about tearing people down and how easy it is to do it. And that my focus this week was to build people up. And I truly meant that I was sitting in church last week and it was like, this pastor was going through this whole thing and he was talking to me because I know for a fact, it's so easy, so seductive to talk shit about people because it we do it all day. We don't even know it. And it that kind of aligns with elk shape is like, man, you can be one of those hunters. And this is probably the opposite of Baxter because obviously Baxter's helping you and he knows what I'm talking about right now. Like it is so rewarding to have him help you, Josh, go through the struggles, be there for you and see you out the other side. And he probably will tear up a little and maybe even be almost excited it's impossible, but almost as excited as you are when you kill your first elk. That's powerful. And so it's not about Dan Staten. Elk Shape's about how can we build people up? How can we sharpen iron with iron in a world that doesn't really, that's kind of going against the grain? This world's all about me, myself, and I, and what am I going to get out of this and whereas I learned, and I mean this, your success will not get in the way of my success. I work too hard at this to fail. So why do I have to like keep my cards close and not share what I've learned? It's not gonna, it's not gonna get in the way. And so elk shape for me is about helping as many people find their path and make sure that that path is definitely steep, uphill, difficult, not easy. And the fruit is hanging high and you got to work your ass off to get it because that will build a whole lifestyle where you will find your best possible version of yourself. That is elk shape. And that's kind of my mission. Wow. I, that is the best ending answer we could possibly have. What is the best way for people to follow? Is it the podcast, the website, the Instagram? What, what's the best way to people to, to stay in touch and, and follow what you're doing and yeah, uh, so Elk Shapes uh, on Instagram and YouTube. There's a podcast and uh, where there's a website, all that kind of stuff. So anything that you, any platform you like, maybe we're there, check Elk Shape. Yep. And uh, Dan, anything else before we wrap up? Any parting words? Good luck this year, guys. Give it everything you got and then some. And then let's get back on the horn after season. Tell me what you did well. Tell me what worked and tell me what didn't. Sounds good. Likewise. Yeah, we'll look forward to it. Absolutely.